But the Founding Fathers had an easier time writing the Bill of Rights. All right, we're done. You think the language in the Second Amendment is clear enough? You know, about the right to bear arms? Of course it's clear. Every American has the right to hang a pair of bear arms on their wall. How could that possibly be misconstrued? All right, fantastic then. History is strange. It's alien. And it won't give us what we would like to have. Endowed by their creator. It's the headline at BillMick.com. It's also something we're going to kick around in this hour of Dave Does History on Bill Mick Live. The follow-up line to that in the Declaration of Independence is with certain unalienable rights. The question is, are they as unalienable as we thought? We had some of that discussion briefly in our last hour. Didn't really get to take it as deeply as I would have liked to, but it was there. And Dave Bowman joins us every Tuesday. For Dave Does History here on Bill McLive. He's in Silverdale, Washington. Dave, good morning, buddy. How are you? I, I waited until I saw you drinking coffee. Till I, I was going to say, you waited until yeah. you saw me pick up the coffee cup. and then. <laughs> I'm good, Bill. How are you today? I, I am well. Uh, interesting thoughts on the Newsom-DeSantis debate in the last hour. Some folks thinking not a good idea at all. I think it's an opportunity for DeSantis to shine without the distraction of other Republicans throwing bumper stickers at each other for this so-called debate tomorrow night. Well, you know me, I'm a cynic. It's an opportunity, all right, but it's an opportunity for ratings, and that's about it. So. You think that's it? You don't think the the, the two governors is as diametrically applied? And I've lived in both states. I had the Central California experience, and you were there in a big part of it. And I love the area. I loved Oakdale. I love my kid being in school in Oakdale. It was great. It's a wonderful community. I miss it. I miss it every day. But the politics and the ideas of freedom and liberty that you like to talk about so frequently are different in California than they are anywhere else on the planet. Gavin Newsom is plug and play. He's just a typical California Democrat. He's no different than Jerry Brown. He's no different than Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's just plug and play. And DeSantis, last time I checked, was a distant second. Oh, yeah, very distant. In the Republican so nomination. So, mm -hmm. really, I mean, somebody's getting ratings from this, and it's not me. Well, and, and, and we've been talking about all these freedoms and rights. And in our Constitution, we have amended it to have the Bill of Rights, but it was not what was proposed by Congress. Let's talk about that. Well, today. in 1789 this week, in fact, it was yesterday in 1789, the first Congress voted to approve the first 12 amendments to the United States Constitution. Now, these particular 12 amendments are notable because they are colloquially known as the Bill of Rights. This was something that I think we take for granted today. In fact, it's you can buy a separate Bill of Rights, you know, poster and stuff. In fact, I have one over there. Um, but the Constitution itself says that every amendment is part of the Constitution. It is the Constitution. It's not an amendment, as in something that we you look amend at it separate. and it becomes right. Constitution. It is period. the Constitution. Period. Yeah, yeah. Which is you know important to keep in mind because these are. These are rights that these are not necessarily unalienable rights or inalienable rights or even civil rights. 
these were rights that a certain group of people was very concerned were very concerned about with the ratification of the constitution the you said earlier in the show about the founders and their their prescience and looking forward and securing these rights and things like that i didn't long, trust themselves or their posterity absolutely they, they didn't but there is a a reality here that the Federalists, the people who were pro-Constitution, tended to be more Pollyannish in their look at human nature. They tended to believe that the people would be attentive, and they tended to believe that the government would be respectful of the things that they had written down, whereas the anti-Federalists did not. They firmly believed that had the Constitution not been amended, not been uh, supplied with its Bill of Rights, that the government would turn into a giant, unaccountable, centralized federal government running everything, including subsuming the states to its will. You'd have to say the Anti-Federalists had a better understanding of human nature because, well, as it turns out, Take a look around. Our government is a giant, unaccountable, centralized federal government running everything and subsuming Mm -hmm. the states. So how did we get to that point? Well, therein lies the story. And we pick it up in 60 seconds on Bill McLeod. Dave Bowman and Dave does history. So the the wisdom was we've got to let future governments know these rights are secured. They belong to the people. In, 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 yes. And you've, you've got these two schools of argument that for our purposes we'll call Federalist and Anti-Federalist, but it, it's a little more sublime than that. I actually have this white paper theory that I've been working on for about 14 years now, that the libertarian movement of today, not the libertarian party, throw those people out, the actual libertarian line of thought is the ideological grandchild of the Anti-Federalists. The Anti-Federalists opposed the Constitution as proposed because they felt that it did not protect individual liberties, which is what we had been fighting for against the British. Mm -hmm. And so they demanded and won the concession in several states that in order for them to vote to ratify, the first thing that would happen, the very first thing Congress would do would be to propose a Bill of Rights. These rights would then be sent to the president for his approval and then on to the states, which will happen next week in 1789. They will be sent to the states for ratification, and subsequently they will become part of the Constitution enshrined. Now, their primary purpose here is to protect individual liberties because it was felt that the Constitution, as proposed, did not do so. Now, keep in mind that James Madison who will become the father of the Bill of Rights, argued vociferously that it wasn't needed, that the Constitution already protected those rights. His philosophy was that if the Constitution didn't say you could do something, you couldn't do it as the government. Now, the problem with that is that he will ultimately be opposed by Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, whose approach is that if it doesn't say you can't do it, you can So in that aspect of things, it turns out that the Anti-Federalists were right. They also wanted to limit government power. They wanted to ensure that government was by the consent of the governed rather than 
the way things tend to happen uh, in human history. They really wanted to address the concerns that the Anti-Federalists had had, because it wasn't clear, Bill, in 1789, it wasn't clear that even if we got the Constitution ratified, even if we got this Bill of Rights, it wasn't clear that it would continue. It's very possible that this thing could blow up in our faces, that uh, maybe George Washington, the first president, turns out to be a dictator, and maybe the whole thing falls down. They wanted to address all of those concerns, all of those things that the Anti-Federalists had talked about, and they wanted to continue the philosophy of enlightenment, which is fascinating to me, but far beyond where we need to be for this right here. They were concerned about preventing tyrannies and protecting minority rights, and they wanted to set precedent for constitutional law. All of these reasons went into this these 12 amendments that they would ultimately propose because they needed to they needed to answer the arguments of the anti-federalists. They needed to keep their word. This is something that, you know, politicians today I don't think really grasp this idea that, about. Yeah. If you give your word that you're going to do something, you should probably actually do it. So the the states that ratified the Constitution said, okay, we're, we're ratifying it, but here's a list of things that we want to see added. Here's a list of things that you will do, or maybe we withdraw our ratification, which is a, a another folder we don't want to open today because that's, yeah. a, that's a question. Can you unratify something that you've ratified? Well, based on the history of amendments, the answer is yes, but... Sure. We'll see what happens with that. But in, in the meantime, Congress gets to work and they come up with 12 rights that they want to make sure will be in this Bill of Rights. Now, the most important thing to keep in mind is that my favorite myth about the Bill of Rights is that they are in the order of importance. In other words, the First Amendment is the most important. The Second Amendment is the second most important. The Third Amendment, which nobody can tell you what is, is the third most important, so forth and so on, right? Mm -hmm. That's not true. In point of fact, there were 12 amendments opposed, proposed, and what we call the First Amendment was actually the third as proposed and down on the line. So what happened to those first two amendments? Well, therein lies a story. And we're going to have some fun with it as Dave Does History continues in moments on Bill McLive. We let you in at 321-768-1240 in our final segment. And uh, one of those fun days that uh, we dig into things with an angle that we didn't necessarily have before. And I'm thankful that uh, Dave is our resident historian and Tuesday research chapter of the show, a research segment of the show. So we're back in a moment with Dave Bowman. Hey there, this is not Dave Bowman from the Dave Bowman Show. I'm just written to say what he would say here. Are you intrigued by the U.S. Constitution and eager to dive deeper? Well, you're in luck. Head on over to the DaveBowmanShow.com and simply search for Constitution Thursday. We've got insightful discussions of the history and meaning of the Constitution. Discover the rich history and significance of our nation's guiding document. That's the DaveBowmanShow.com and search for Constitution Thursday. Our weekly dive into history. Dave Bowman joins us on Bill McLive. The McPherson Financial Group are our sponsor. So securing these rights 
for we and our posterity. Dave, I'll get it out in a minute. Uh, it was a battle uh, even then to get it done. I don't huh? think people realize how much of a battle this was and how close of a thing this was. We, we today, we take the Constitution for granted. Oh, yep. it was foreordained. It was mistakenly, people believe it was divinely ordained. All of these things. This was a fight. I mean, a fight. And at the end of the day, everybody agreed that we had to be united. We had to have some form of government. But what you've proposed here doesn't secure these rights. It doesn't guarantee them. We think they're unalienable. We think that you can't take them away. And even to a degree, people like James Madison, who opposed the Bill of Rights, thought that it did. But we would be better if you just wrote it down and guaranteed it. And so these first 12 amendments are put out there. Now, these are actually written down for the most part by James Madison, who becomes the father of the Bill of Rights. And everything, everybody's familiar with that. But there are other people involved here. George Mason. Uh, we've talked about George Mason before. Remember, he's that guy that the day before they went on break wanted to argue about the presidency. He is absent. He won't sign this because it doesn't have a Bill of Rights. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, he's not involved with this. He wasn't at the Constitutional Convention. He's not involved with the Bill of Rights. He's not in Congress. But his his Virginia resolves and 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 his influence on the Virginia Constitution with its Bill of Rights plays a huge role. John Adams is involved, a uh, strong supporter of the Bill of Rights, even though he's a strong Federalist as well. He wanted to protect individual liberties. Roger Sherman, who is uh, a huge part of the reason we have a constitution, he's part of the Connecticut Compromise. He uh, he was the really the the driving force behind it in its early uh, Bill of Rights process in Congress. And Patrick Henry, who did not attend the Constitutional Convention, said, "quote I smell a rat." Unquote about the Constitution. Uh, but he was absolutely impassioned that there must be a Bill of Rights or they can't actually have a constitution. There were others, of course, involved uh, with the Anti-Federalist Movement, George Clinton, along with others, who were absolutely adamant that we had to secure these rights. Because if we didn't secure these rights, Bill, none of these, this Bill of Rights, Bill, uh, then none of this constitution thing was going to work because not everybody was George Washington. And not everybody was going to, you know, if men were angels, as Madison wrote, wrote we wouldn't need uh, government. But they're not. So we better mm -hmm. write this stuff down, because otherwise we're going to have problems. I'm thinking about what what's most shocking to today's America is that these people who had these vast differences, Dave, we're able to say, we realize we have to be unified in this, even though we've got disagreements, and they found ways to work through that. They did, and they had existential circumstances that caused them to realize that. And we either lack that today, or we don't understand it today. I think it, I think it still exists. We just don't recognize it. Dave Bowman with Dave Does History. So, they started out with 12 amendments, Dave. Why do we only have 10? Well, that's the first question right there. That's the first what we would call an Uli question on a submarine, which is a question that's hard to answer. If we started out with 12, how many of those 12 were actually ratified? Well, 
Initially, 10 were ratified, as you know, and these are enshrined in our Bill of Rights. This is something that's precious to us. These rights are enumerated, I guess, in the Constitution is the best way to put it, along with other rights that are still enumerated in the Constitution as proposed. We passionately love these bills, these rights. We passionately cling to them, at least the ones we understand. I don't think I've ever really heard a passionate discussion about the Third Amendment, although there should be, because I think if they had to think all over again, they might reword that a little bit differently. But because they put troops in there, it, it lost some of its impact. That said, there were two additional amendments. The first one was actually George Washington's. So the first proposed amendment, what would be amendment number one, was Washington's proposal that the House of Representatives should have one representative for every 50,000 people. Now, he was concerned. How populous was the country at that time? It was about uh, 12 million, somewhere in there. So I ran some numbers. If, if, If this amendment went into play we'd have a House of Representatives of about about 11,500 people now. Now, frankly, I'm okay with that. I don't really have a problem with that. It certainly would create more coalitions and open up more parties and more... Or a parliament, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But even if you doubled that to 100,000 and cut it down to 5,000 people, I still don't... I don't think that's bad. I really don't. But many people thought that's going to be too unwieldy because even back then they knew we're going to grow. Mm-hmm. And do we really need that many people in a representative government? The idea of a representative government is to have as few people as possible representing you. And the more people you have, the more likely you are to devolve into uh, political parties and political sectionalism. And there are arguments for both sides on this, but, you know, there you go. The second proposed amendment was a congressional compensation amendment that basically said, look, if you get erected to Congress, you cannot get a pay raise. You can't get a pay raise until an ensuing election takes place. So you can vote yourself a pay raise, but then you've got to go. You've got to get elected then. You've got to get reelected then to collect the pay raise, which hopefully would keep people from, you know, just voting themselves pay rises, which is kind of what seems to happen today, right? Mm -hmm. But here's the problem with that amendment. The initial second amendment, as it was, the congressional pay rise, actually did get ratified. But not until 1992. (laughs) The story of how it got ratified is fascinating. A college student got a C-plus on an assignment about amendments uh-huh. and said, guess what? And so he took on a letter-writing campaign to get to get this, the, the initially second amendment proposed ratified and succeeded in doing so. And the professor still wouldn't change his grade, even after he got this whole thing done. Really? But then after she retired, Congress itself said, hey, you should really raise his grade. And so they gave him an A plus because obviously he understood it. So there's actually 11 in the Bill of Rights. It's just that the 27th didn't get done. It was done kind of until misplaced along the way. Huh? 200 years later. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's, that's funny. Uh, were there tough battles for the remaining amendments? No. Pretty simple, really? pretty straightforward, almost on a, almost on an immediate vote. Not a, not a whimper, huh? No. Nope. Dave Does History continues when we continue right here on Bill Mick Live on 92.7 FM WMMB. Your call's next if you want to get them in now. Hey, it's me. Still not Dave Bowman from The Dave Bowman Show. Have you checked out the DaveBowmanShow.com yet? Why not? There's a lot of stuff there that I know that you will just love. Plus, we need the downloads to bump up our metrics to maybe make some actual money. So, get on over to the DaveBowmanShow.com. Seriously. Right now would be a great time to go to the DaveBowmanShow.com. Okay, maybe you should at least finish this podcast first. But then you should go to the DaveBowmanShow.com. That's the DaveBowmanShow.com. Bill McLive is on demand. The show, the McNugget, the call of the day, they're all on the free iHeartRadio app and in the podcast section at BillMick.com. And I have a link to Dave Bowman's other podcasts and to his uh, Dave Does History page. It's in the show page today at BillMick.com, which is entitled Endowed by Their Creators, which is exactly what we're talking about with Dave Bowman and Dave Does History. We'll get to your calls coming up, 321-768-1240, if you'd like to get lined up for those before the end of the show here. Well, Dave, we got the uh, original 10. Now the 11th is in as the 27th, and one was still kicked out because, well, they didn't want it. It was unworkable. I mean, I, I yeah. guess that's the argument is, you know, 12,000 people in Congress would be, you imagine how long it would take to vote. Or how long it would, t- how, how long it would take to build a capital to hold them all and the, and the additions to the building you're going to have to have when they bring them together. But Bill, we live in the 21st century. We could do this whole thing on Zoom now. Yes, we could. So let's get rid of it and just do direct democracy by everybody. There's the idea, Dave. Washington was concerned that you would end up with a situation where you had representatives who had no, no connection to their community. And I would argue that he was right. I mean, in, in California, Mm -hmm. we had a congressman who lived in Virginia, raised racehorses in Virginia. He lived in Virginia. He would come back every now and then, but he had no real interest in the, in the district whatsoever. He had no connection to us, but that was an example of what Washington was concerned about. We've seen that happen, especially in primary races here as the party or whoever will try to find somebody to run against an incumbent that they don't particularly find in favor generally because he's too conservative for them. Right. And they'll go out and get somebody who doesn't live in the district to carpet bag in and, and do part of Yeah, exactly. It's uh, to me, the bill of rights and, and the entire amendment process is, it's imperative. I don't like the phrase, it's a living document. I know people say that, well, it's a living constitution. I don't mean it the same way when they say that with the, with the idea of loose construction. Yeah, they mean it's ever evolving, right. right? But it is a living document. You can change it. And this is my big issue is, let's say for, say for the argument that firearms, gun safety, we want to ban guns. This is what I keep saying to leftists. You can ban guns. All you got to do is get an amendment to repeal the Second Amendment, 
get it past Congress with two-thirds, get the president to sign it, and get three-fourths of the states to ratify it. If you can do that, and if it's really the issue that you say it is, shouldn't be a problem, right? But we don't seem to necessarily want to do that. And that's this is the, the legacy of the Bill of Rights, is that it allows us to do those things. It, it helps shape our democracy, our, our republic. It, it did provide protection for individual freedoms and continues to do so. And with the 14th Amendment's incorporation, it forced the states to do the same thing. The states were not abiding by those things, and the states were forced to permit you to have those same rights as an American citizen, as a citizen of your state. It is the cornerstone of our Constitution in many ways, even though it was laid after the Constitution was ratified. Mm -hmm. And we're back, and your call's coming up in just a minute on WMMB. 321-768-1240 lets you in here as we wrap up Dave Does History on a Tuesday morning on Bill McLive. Um, Dave, it seems like those in Congress aren't paying attention to the Constitution or the Bill of Rights in many, many cases. Uh, states are trying to subvert certain of these rights on a regular basis. And like you said, we're saying the 14th Amendment says the states need to comply with this, but they seem to ignore it as well. Well, is the real problem that Congress or our political leaders don't pay attention to it? Or is the real problem that we've lost the anti-federalist attitude of protecting our rights by making them do these things? I lean into the second. It's our fault. Yeah, yeah. I, I like but, the way you put it. But the reality of it is, this is exactly what the anti-federalists were afraid of. If the people aren't involved, this is Federalist 57. If the people are ever, if the spirit of liberty is ever debased to the point where the people will tolerate this, then it's over. And so I think that's where we're finding ourselves. You know, you, you had the debate about the constant pocket, the pocket constitutions yesterday. Mm-hmm. You can give out all the constitutions you want. If people don't read it and study it and understand it, it doesn't do any good. And that's where well, we're at. Well, and and how do we revitalize it would be my question. What do we do? I mean, well, you and I'll, I talk I'll about it. I'll tell you the answer to that, Bill, because I, I've had this conversation. You know that I had a co-host on my show for many years, and we did a segment called Constitution Thursday, which which he was not into at all. Until we started getting on the subject, that old boring stuff, right? Right. Until we got into a subject that mattered to him, we had a congressman in, Co in California that tried to violate the First Amendment and suppress his freedom of speech, and he did not like that. And now he's one of the biggest advocates of the Constitution across the board. You've got to put it just like the guides, just like theology. You got to meet people where they are, and if you don't meet them where they are, it's not interesting to them. But as soon as you can meet them where they are, talk to them about what matters to them, mm -hmm. then they'll get interested. Speaking of, let's go to the phones. Brody's on with us. Hey, Brody, good morning. Well, we lost him. I think this may be him. Brody, is that you? I had you queued up to go. You there? Yeah. Can you hear me now, Bill? Yeah, I can. Go ahead. Hey, Dave. Uh, first of all, I, I want to wholeheartedly agree with you your last point about nobody caring or understanding the constitution. My biggest gripe with the constitution, how it is perceived today is the fourth amendment, you know, the right to be secured in your person places and effects. The problem is 
is a lot of these law enforcement or other agencies, CIA, FBI, whatever, can go to these judges and just say nilly-willy to get a um, search warrant or a Pfizer warrant or whatever to listen to auntie. I wish the founder fathers put more into the Fourth Amendment saying if they were caught doing this neuronously that they have penalties under law to go to jail or to to get fined, you know, millions of dollars. And it's, and it's not happened. How many times do you hear people getting, you know, warrants and finding out they were erroneous to you? Brody, thanks for the, uh, for the thoughts there. I'm going to tell you the penalties are severe. And those of us in law enforcement were educated about it, that if we violate, if we wrote a bad application for a search warrant, if we lied in the affidavit, if we fooled the court in some fashion, um, yeah, the penalties were severe. Civil rights violations can get you major time as a law enforcement, um, operative. But any provisions for the judges when they go that direction? I guess it would be similar, but proven it might be difficult. Impeachment. You can impeach a judge. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to what I was saying before. We could have this argument. This isn't really about the Fourth Amendment, but it does have that word in there. Unreasonable. Now, who defines what unreasonable is? And that's the crux of the argument. Well, that's when the exigent circumstances exactly. argument comes in, right? But. Let's say for the sake of argument that the court decides that something is unreasonable. How do you punish the judge that's in, in, in violation of that? Well, who appoints the judge? Or elects him, depending on the case. Right? Well, uh, again, we're talking in a federal oh, system, system here. Appointed. The yeah. Senate appoints him. The president nominates him. So how do you send a message to them that you don't like the judges that they're, they're appointing? You elect somebody else, which yeah. is how you get the changes to the Ninth Circuit Court because you had – President Trump, and you had a, you know, a, a, a Republican Senate with the nuclear option. And so the Ninth Circuit Court, no longer the Ninth Circus Court. Right? That's that how you nice changed change, it. That's a nice change, was it not? It is a nice change, and it actually affected uh, what you were talking about this morning with Gavin Newsom. The reason he vetoed that bill is because he knows he's going to lose that in the Ninth Circuit, and mm. he knows he's going to lose that in the Supreme Court. So... Why would you do that? You're not Ted Lieu. You don't, you know, chase things out to, to never-ending lawsuits. But, yeah, I, I get your feeling because I feel the same way about unreasonable searches and seizures. I feel the same way about any police officer that does that. My question is, why do people settle with them? Stop settling with them. Make them get on the stand and admit that they knew that it was unreasonable and then ask them why they did it anyway. And you'll start seeing more impact of that and less of that happening you said something else we were talking about how we bring this home to 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 people and when it's when it's their particular yes hiney on the line then they're engaged and then they're ready we have stopped having a collective look that there's something bigger than the individual that the country itself is something worth fighting to maintain and the traditions and and the history thereof are are worthy of that support, it's all individualized anymore, Dave. We don't that, have we problem. don't have the unity. This yeah. is again going back to freedom and liberty. Freedom implies a unity of purpose, and 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 yet we don't see it that way. We don't see the fact that there are circumstances designed to divide us, and the more divided we are, the less important these rights become because 
it's my right, but not yours. That goes back to your poll. Why do some people think that we have too much free speech? Why do some people think that you should not be able to say something? Well, because of individualism, as opposed to a collective union, which is what we're supposed to be. And I just, mm -hmm. it's sad. It's sad to watch. In, in some ways, Bill, I, I'm sad that I'm alive now instead of in the early 1800s. But, you know, we had these same arguments back then. We had Congress passing laws say, restricting freedom of speech. The difference yeah. was we were willing to stand up and fight against it. And today we get a law that, that suppresses free speech, which is what that California bill did. And people are not just for it, but the only reason they veto it is because it's not because it's wrong. Not it because might be it's used violent. against them in it the might, other way. Exactly. Yeah. Line one, you're up on Bill McLive. Good morning. Hey. Yeah, Hello? make it quick. Hey, this is that guy in Palm Bay. Um, just a quick thing. Maybe President Washington should have made that proportional formula toward bureaucrats instead of the politicians. Did he envision that, I would wonder, Dave? Well, no. And, and the reason we have so many bureaucrats is because Congress keeps divesting itself of its authority to the executive branch and, and statutorily authorizing all this. Yeah. Thou shalt be able to make rule. That rule shall have the effect of law. Right. Period. That's Congressman. That's our yeah. congressman here. Bill Posey has a stack in his office or did until the fire marshal made him take it down. It was like six feet tall of regulations that are having the effect of law because Congress has seen its authority to do it. So how about a constitutional amendment that every four years deletes all regulations? Oh, they all sunset after. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. Dave, we got to run. McPherson Financial Group made the hour possible. What are we doing next Tuesday? The Wake 98, the story of Wake Island.